0: Good morning, church. Well, for the indefinite future, as you know, this will be the way in which we gather. And um, it's not going to be normal, uh, but it is going to be good, and we're prayerful that God will use it uh, despite that it's a little uh, unusual for us. You know, there are some advantages to this sort of a medium. For one, you can go to the bathroom whenever you want uh, with no fear of distraction or anything like that. Um, You can also doze off without me knowing it, although I'm sure none of you would possibly do that. Uh, all being serious though, uh, this is something that's unusual. However, we're prayerful that we would be faithful uh, while using this medium. Um, it will be tempting some weeks to, to not tune in. Uh, it's, it's easier to just not tune in than to not gather because there's no accountability uh, and no one will know. But uh, as your pastor and, and those of you that are listening, I'm instructing and, and encouraging you to be faithful and discipline yourself to join us in worship uh, through this medium, to be involved to be active. Uh, during the week we're, we're uploading a midweek Bible study and I'm encouraging you and challenging you to be a part of that as well. Uh, there's also gonna be a time that our youth are talking together over the internet uh, through video and, and James has been good at that already and we're gonna continue to disciple your students uh, through that medium as well. Another way that you can be active and be involved is by praying for your church, praying that in this season of life that God would still uh, instruct us and lead us and that we would be faithful um, as continual participants in God's church and then also to continue to serve and give faithfully. Obviously service and giving are going to look different. And so I wanted to let you know that one way that you can continue to financially support uh, your church is to mail your checks to the church. You probably already know the address for, for Spring Hill, but it's 503 Spring Hill Road. Uh, you can look up and, and Google the address to the church. But uh, this is gonna be a difficult season for a lot of churches, and, and likely ours included. And so we're really encouraging you to continue to give faithfully. Not only can you mail checks, but uh, if you need someone to come and pick up a check, please don't you know hesitate to reach out to me. Shoot me an email or a text or a phone call. And we will absolutely make sure that you're taken care of in any way that we can. Uh, If you are uh, maybe not feeling so good about getting out. And then finally, I wanted to let you know that our hope is in the next, hopefully by next Sunday, we'll have uh, online giving as an an aid and as an asset for you. And so we're still kind of working through uh, what that looks like. And the people who are going through are being flooded with churches that are trying to do the same thing for obvious reasons. And so uh, anyway, that's going to be our goal is to have online giving as a capability as well. And so we're working towards that. Um, okay, also, uh, you know, I wanted to just let you know that this video is not meant to be watched alone. And so, if you're watching it alone, I really encourage you to just pause it and find your family or find the people that you live with. If you live alone, I guess it's sort of out of your hands, but watch this with people in your life. This isn't intended to be watched alone. We're going to include some discussion questions, maybe that you can discuss the word over lunch or over dinner, similar to the way that we do small groups currently. Now, we're not going to pretend that this is just as good as our normal gathering on Sunday morning or Sunday night or even Wednesday night uh, because it isn't. But while we long for the day that we can once again gather, we're prayerful that God would do a couple of things. Number one, that God would humble us to daily dependence on him. One of the greatest ways we can do that is to be prayerful. This is a season where we feel humbled, I think that we maybe took took for granted some of the things that we had, and so we're prayerful that God would humble us through this and draw us near to him in faithful dependence. And then also that he would use this medium, internet, to grow us. To grow us to do two things primarily, to love God like crazy and love people limitlessly. And those are our prayers, that God would do those two things, to humble us and to grow us. You know, we just finished the book of Ruth uh, last Sunday, and we saw in there one of these great principles That God used tragedy to save to provide for and to uplift his people you know as God has so often proven that he does we're praying that God would use the tragedy of our day to draw many many people to himself and so before we begin the message let's just pray and, and thank God for who he is and also pray that he would do just that that he would use this time to humble us and to draw us near to himself all right let's pray together father we love you and we are thankful that we have a medium through which we can worship together, although distant. Lord, you are faithful and loving to us. I pray that in this time you would humble us and that you would grow us, that we would be lovers of God and lovers of people. Help us to be faithful as givers to the church, whatever that looks like, and that we would be faithful servants of you in all things. Use this message this morning, Lord. We're going to hear it in a different way, but all the same, your word carries power, and it doesn't matter where It is heard. It carries the same power. I pray that you would use it in the hearts of your people now. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat the current cultural climate and what it means for the church. However, just because for a time we cannot meet as a whole does not mean that the church is now or has ever been dealt a losing hand. You know, the church has been tested in far greater ways than this coronavirus. When we examine the history of God's church, it truly is the humblest of beginnings. You know, Christ called, He trained, and He sent 12 of His apostles, His brothers in Christ in Himself, He called them, he trained them, and he sent them. And these guys weren't Billy Grahams, all right? And they weren't Adrian Rogers's. They were regular guys. They were tax collectors and fishermen. They weren't highly educated, and yet God used them to change the world. You know, we we go read the book of Acts, and the church began, and God was adding to their number daily and weekly hundreds and thousands even of people. This thing started with small sects of minority Christians that were scattered throughout the firmly established Jewish Israel and also the massively pagan Roman Empire, the greatest empire in the world at that time. And yet, Rome is in ashes. Caesar is remembered only through the history books. However, the church is still global and thriving. The church has faced great adversity, and yet the church has always thrived. God used a frequently hindered movement of 12 men, and by His Spirit, He changed the world. And so I want to just, you know, suggest to you this little thought here. Could it be that God could use this coronavirus for His glory? Could it be that He could use this season for His glory? Could it be that God could do more in a dozen weeks of global crisis than 100 years of church gatherings on countless southern street corners. Could it be? Could our God be capable? You know, it begs the question, what's the difference between the first disciples and believers in our area now? Well, the twelve were genuinely committed to Christ. They were committed to putting on the armor of God, to hating sin, and telling everyone about God's rescue mission for dying sinners. But you and I are so often more committed to things like sports and education and work and Facebook and Instagram and children's activities and politics than we are to the one thing in our life that actually matters. You know, those things aren't evil, but... We have a desperate spiritual deficiency, and that's that Jesus, listen, Jesus is not an add-on to your life. He is your life. He's not an addition. He's not the thing that you tag along. He is first and foremost your life. And so what's the cure for our spiritual deficiency? It's very simple. Anchoring in Christ. Anchoring deeply in Christ. The author of Hebrews understood this, and so if you have a Bible, open to Hebrews chapter 10, okay? Hebrews chapter 10 is where we're going to be this morning, and you even get the luxury of pausing the video if it takes you a minute to get there, okay? So Hebrews 10 is where we're going to be as we examine this in Hebrews 10 verses 19 through 25. This is something I want you to understand as we read, and that's that, the language in this book is a little confusing for us, but it would have been much more easily understood for Jews in the, in the original time in which it was written. But us, as you know, 21st century Americans, it may not be so easy to understand, so some of this is going to require some additional explanation, but just follow with me as we walk through the passage, okay? Hebrews 10, verses 19 through 25. Let's see what the author of Hebrews has written down for us to absorb. with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works, not neglecting meeting together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. I love the book of Hebrews. It's called that because of the people to whom it is written. This letter is called Hebrews because that's the audience. These are Jewish people in churches that are really scattered across Gentile regions, non-Jewish regions, specifically within the Roman Empire. You know, Christians in Rome were a vast minority. At that time, they were a vast minority. Many Roman gods and Greek gods and goddesses surrounded them in their belief system, and so Christians were a vast minority. They were the subject oftentimes of social mockery. You know, their God had died. Jesus had died. and Yet he'd been resurrected. But in the Roman world, a God that died was weak. Okay? And so these people, Christians, were a vast minority because they were the subject of scorn and mockery. They had a weak God in the eyes of the people around them. Not only that, but they were constantly being pressured to worship more gods. Because there are many gods and goddesses within Rome, but these guys had one god. And not only one god, but these Christians, just like us, were exclusively worshipers of that one god. Well, for that reason also, they were the subject of much mockery and scorn, and eventually, physical assault and even murder. They became martyrs just a few short years later, many of them. A lot of the reason because these Christians like us worshipped an exclusive one God, and in the culture that wasn't something that was really welcome. You know, our God's the one true God. They would say, and so people around them would say, "How dare you be so exclusive?" It's bigger than just what you are talking about. And so Christians, the reason I say all that is to say that Christians in this audience they needed the church, they needed a refuge community just like us it's the same exact thing we also worship the same exclusive one god and that's not something that's welcome in our culture this exclusivity of our one god we see this in a few ways right whenever we crack down as christians and say no there's one design for something like sex and intimacy that's not really welcome in our culture of inclusivism and everybody is happy and can be just the way that they are when we talk about being pro-life and that many say, no, that's an assault on someone's responsibility and right for their own bodies. We would say, no, God is protecting both bodies. But in this culture and in that culture, when we crack down and say, no, we have an exclusive one God, that's not something that's welcomed. They would say, you know, maybe that it's, it's anybody to whom they want. Like they, can, they worship their own way, live and let live. But this is simply not the way of the Christian faith. We have exclusively one God, you know, in the midst of this virus and and some of the things, I know probably most of you are more plugged in now maybe than you usually are. You may be bored scrolling things on your phone and looking at stuff. I saw one video that was uploaded a couple of days ago by several actors and actresses in Hollywood, and they sort of did like a mashup video of 10 seconds or 5 seconds each, singing the song Imagine by John Lennon, and probably a lot of you guys know that song, but there was this mashup video, and the reason for this video was that each of the celebrities were on the same page and saying, what we need now more than ever is for everybody to live and let live, be loving to each other, let us promote peace and unity. But they sang the song Imagine, which is the theme of that song, but listen to the lyrics, and just how it slides under the rug a worldview. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us, only sky. Imagine all the people living for today. It goes on and says there's nothing to kill or die for and no religion to. Imagine all the people living life in peace. It's an inclusive worldview and this is the worldview that surrounds us but that's not consistent with our Christian worldview. We too live in a society that whether loudly or discreetly Our society believes the purpose of my and your gathering, and heck, even the purpose that we're doing this right now is at the very least silly and at the very most is dangerous to the rest of the world. Well, then why was the book of Hebrews written? For that occasion. Hebrews is written to warn and to encourage Christians who live in the world, but simply are not of the world. Like a ship that is tossed to and fro in a storm, the life of a Christian And the first century was anything but secure. And right now we can empathize with that. And it's for this reason that I believe that this passage provides what's going to be the structure if you're taking notes this morning in our message. And that's three anchors during life's storms. Three anchors during life's storms. The first one of these, the first anchor during life's storms is my unwavering confidence. My unwavering confidence confidence. Before we can really begin looking at the passage, we have to understand a very, very important word, and that word is sin. Sin is my and your common condition, and it is also my and your greatest problem. God is not sin. God is holy, meaning he is without sin, but you and I don't share holiness. We share sin, and because of that, we are not compatible with God. He is here, we are here, distanced, separated. And it's been that way a very long time. God, as a holy God, cannot be in the presence of you and I as sinful beings. And I know that's bad news, but it's been that way a long time, dating back to the garden of Eden with Adam and Eve, when they were banished from the presence of God, and a sudden change of the narrative, whereas before that, they had intimacy and fellowship with God. But since then, God has been on a rescue mission to restore the original order of things. And this is the, the heart of this passage that we're looking at this morning. Look at verse 19. The very first word there says, therefore, he goes on, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places, that's the presence of God, by the blood of Jesus. Okay, that's a change in the narrative. He says, therefore, so that, that necessitates that we look before what we just read, and we'll get there in a moment. But he says, because of something that he just got done saying, We, who have no reason to be confident because of sin and a holy God, we now have confidence to enter the holy place that is the presence of God based on the work of Jesus. Now, understand something. Since he's saying, therefore, we do have confidence, he is necessarily saying that there was a time when we had zero confidence, no reason to be confident in the presence of God. Turn back real quick to chapter 9, okay? Chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 11 through 14, and I'm not going to read it all. I'm just going to highlight some things within this passage, okay? So in chapter 9, verses 11 through 14, he just got done saying a few things. In verse 11, he talks about the the high priestly role. Now, I'm not going to go into this real deeply, but I need you to understand. What it means that there's a high priest or or a priestly role is that a priest is a go-between. In our culture, when I say the word priest, you probably think of Catholicism, which is natural. When you think of Catholicism and the priestly role, it's someone that stands between God and man. You you probably may think of Catholic confessional. And so the priest goes in and then someone comes and sits in the booth next to him and he says, here's my confession. These are all the wrong things that I've done. Take them to God for me that they may be heard. Well, the priest is acting as an intercessor, as a mediator between God and man. Now, what we're going to see in this passage is that that role is no longer needed because it's been fulfilled in one priest which we'll see in this passage. At this time, in verse 11, which is what it's referring to, that this high priest would go at, before God and on, the, in the, on behalf of all of God's people and he would provide a temporary satisfaction for God's wrath against sinners, okay? He would bring an animal sacrifice to provide temporary atonement for all of the sins of God's people. He went into this place called the Holy Places or the Holy of Holies. And the Holy of Holies was a very sanctified and separated and distant place from the rest of the people. It was behind a very thick curtain and it was, you know, by itself because it was a very special place. In fact, only one guy was allowed to go in there once a year. That guy was the high priest of Israel. The reason why is because God had appointed one man to come and represent all of his people. And that one man would go in there once a year, and he would do all of these rituals to make sure that he was clean and worthy to enter, and then he would go in and perform a sacrifice to make God's view of humanity pleasing for one more year. I say that because what happens in the book of Hebrews is that the game has changed. Look at verse 12 of of chapter 9. He, that's Jesus, entered that holy place okay, once for all, into the holy places. Listen, not by the means of blood and goats and calves, but by means of his own blood. What did he do? Look at this. Thus securing an eternal redemption. He didn't take in an animal. Christ as the high priest, the representative, the go-between of people and God, brought his own blood, securing an eternal redemption. That word redemption is one that we have looked at recently in, in Ruth. It means the eternal payment. When we say that when we sing, Jesus paid it all, that's exactly what we're singing about. That Jesus paid for our sin by giving his own life. It's the good news of the gospel. And so, while sin and a holy God is a bad news story because we don't have any hope there, we see that there is hope in the fact that Jesus entered the holy places by his own blood and secured an eternal payment for us. As a result, look at the end of verse 14. That God has done this. He has purified our conscience, the end of verse 14, from dead works to serve the living God. He has purified us. Now, day by day goes by where I do not feel pure. Now, there's already a sense in which I've been made pure by Christ, and yet, not yet do I fully have that completely realized. But the facts of the matter are that Jesus entered that place and purified my soul and your soul and made us clean before a holy God. Okay, so now back to chapter 10, verse 19. So as a result of those things, we just now got done reading, verse 19, therefore, okay, so as a result of that, listen, we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh. Therefore, he is saying, you and I have access. Not a high priest, not one guy in all of human uh, mankind. No, you can approach with confidence by the blood of Jesus. We have a great, a final high priest always interceding and permitting that confidence. By the blood of Jesus, sinners are made saints, and that meets an unapproachable made approachable God in fellowship. Now, I want to pause and just think about that reality, that we have confidence to enter the presence of God. Jews and the Hebrews that are reading this originally would have been absolutely astonished by this. Because for their entire lives, they understand that they have no business being in the presence of a holy God that they have to bring sacrifices to a place in order to be counted as worthy, and that they take to a man who represents them, that he is the one that talks to God because I'm not allowed to, because I am stained by my sin. And yet the author of Hebrews is saying, no longer. Not just does a high priest have confidence to enter the access throne of God, but you have confidence to enter the dwelling place of God. The reason I break that down and say that Jews would have been astonished by this is because I believe that you and I are desensitized by this. It's always been that way for us. For the Hebrews, this would be new. For us, it's just always been that way. Maybe you were raised in church and you were always taught that you could pray because God hears your prayer. Listen, and we're at a time where we're self quarantining. But listen, self quarantine would be much lonelier without FaceTime, without online gaming, without a phone, without texting. We live in a generation of amazing opportunity. I cannot imagine, even now, the burden that I would be feeling in my heart of not being able to preach and teach if this video or a Facebook Live were not a thing. How in the world would I pastor you, preach to you, teach you, disciple you, if not for this medium, that would be a heavy burden, and yet we live in an era of great opportunity. You know, thousands of years worth of humans, just like you, would be absolutely in shock if they could hop in a time machine and see what you and I are doing at this very instant. They would be blown away by that. Here's the reason I say that. Listen, you may not be amazed by this, but it doesn't make this any less amazing. You may be, you know what, it's just the way that it is. I'm desensitized to it at this point. You may be like that. It does not make what we're doing any less amazing. The reason I say that is that you may not be amazed that you have 24-7 access to the holy God of the universe, but that doesn't mean it is any less amazing. We've lost our sense of wonder at how approachable God is through Christ. It should inspire all. We should take advantage of the regular. Access and opportunities that we have to go to him put it this way if you were only granted access to God in prayer once a year What would your schedule look like that day? You drop everything you'd call you'd say I'm taking a vacation day from work Checking the kids out of school because this is the one day a year that we can talk and commune with God that we have confidence to do that and yet you can't just do that once a year, one day a year. You have every day and every moment access to him. And yet, we choose an extra 15 minutes of sleep instead of having access to God. You have confidence to enter the place of God. You know, the greatest fear of our lives is not a virus, but is one day standing before the God who holds all judgment in his hands. And yet we need not fear because we stand confidently behind the cross of Christ. And this is our confession. Confidence. Unwavering confidence is our anchor during life's storms. The second anchor during life's storms is this. Number two, my freeing confession. My freeing confession and this second one is very much shorter we're just going to kind of blitz through it okay my freeing confession because of what christ has accomplished we just got done talking about that confidence for us we have this then instruction to draw near to him look at verses 21 and 22 he says and since we have a great high priest over the house of god that's christ listen let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience, and our bodies washed with pure water. I want you to miss this phrase, assurance of faith. You've been made clean. You remember how exhaustive I talked about high priests had to be in cleaning. They had to do all these rituals a week long. They had to clean themselves up just to be considered worthy, to go into the holy places. And yet you and I have been permanently made clean by God, by Christ Jesus. Look at verse 23. As a result of that, verse 23, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. What's our confession? Our confession is that that we sing about so frequently that we pray and that we preach. Our confession is that old song, right? My sin, not in part, but the whole, was nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord. It is well with my soul. It's the good news of the gospel. That's our confession, that you don't stand before God based on your work, but you stand before God based on the work of Christ Jesus. There are days that we forget that reality. But this is saying, lean on Christ who has made you clean, not on your works to make you clean, but hold fast to that confession because it is your only hope. Oh, listen, I don't know if you underline in your Bible, but verse 23 would be a great candidate. I'm going to read it again. It's a great memory verse. Let us hold fast. So cling to the confession of our hope without wavering. Listen, for he who promised is faithful hope without wavering God who promised is faithful you know the biblical principle of hope or the theme of hope is not like hope in our time so it's kind of like you know right now I, I get sick more than anybody and a lot of you guys know that and you pick on me for that this is not a good time to pick on me for that okay but a lot of people pick on me because I get sick more than anybody and they're always telling me you know don't touch anything don't breathe on anybody because I'm always the one carrying the germs but you know right now I'm thinking to myself I hope I don't get sick but that word hope is a, it's a, it's just, a, it's that, it's a hope. It's, hey, it could go one way or the other way. I hope that I don't get sick. I don't know how it's going to turn out, but that's simply my hope. But that word hope in that instance is not the biblical understanding of the word hope. The biblical understanding of the word hope is more like when it's been pouring down rain all day and you say, man, I hope that one day the sun comes up. It will. That's your hope. And yet you know that that day is coming. That's the biblical theme of hope. It's not simply saying, well, I hope that the blood of Jesus is effective for me. Like, I don't know if it's going to happen, but I sure hope that it is. No, it is a firm foundation. It is a sure hope, the same way that when you go to bed at night, you hope that the sun will rise in the morning. It will. This is a hope of ours, a confession in Christ. And it's a wonderful word of encouragement and a word of warning. He's saying, cling, hold fast. To that hope. He then says to do it without wavering. It's a great word. Don't be wishy-washy about this. Stand firm in faith, knowing for sure that just as the sun will once again shine, you have an unwavering hope. And he also says that God who promised is faithful. You want to know how faithful God is? Read your Bible. It's there. I'll say it this way. God's acceptance of you is based not on your effort, but on Christ's sufficient work. You didn't do anything to earn that, so you certainly can't do anything to lose that. And so my encouragement to you is this. Go to him always. Go to him always. On your worst day, your most wicked day, on your worst day, you are no less loved and accepted by God if you're in Christ isn't that great news? That is great news. On your very worst, if you're leaning into the work of Jesus, you're no less loved by God. Gospel. The third anchor during life's storms is number three, my biblical community. My biblical community. Know, if the confidence that we have before God is vertical, and if the confession before God is internal, then this community is external, and it's horizontal. It's outside of us. It's people around us, and it's horizontal, and that it is this way, not this way with God, but it's this way with people. We see this in verse 24 and 25. 24 says this, and let us consider how to stir one another up to love And good works. Notice the horizontal aspect of that, the social external aspect of that. Let us consider how to stir one another up to love and good works. We'll get to verse 25 in a second, but I want you to remember the context. Christian Jews living in first century Rome were on a spiritual island. And so essentially, this warning phrase is this let iron sharpen iron. You need to be encouraged and you need to be challenged to live faithfully. We all need this. Where do you find this type of God fearing? Community in like minded believers. And where do you find them? The church. You need the church. He goes on in verse 25, which is the natural flow of thought, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. So some people neglect gathering with the church, but don't do it. But encouraging one another all the more daily, or all the more as you see the day drawing near. Here's the implication. That people that forsake gathering with believers will be easy prey for the evil one. People that don't prioritize gathering with believers will simply be easy prey for the evil one. There is no such thing as isolated Christianity. You need other believers in your life. This is why going to be with the church is so vital and why online church is simply an oxymoron. That is a contradictory phrase, online church. You need the church. The centerpiece of the church gathering isn't hearing a sermon, singing songs, praying, and giving. I know that sounds weird for me to say, but hear me say this. The centerpiece of the gathering of the church is, yes, it's hearing a sermon, yes, it's singing songs, yes, it's praying and giving, but it's doing those things alongside the church with God's people. That's why when you listen to a sermon online, it's not as enriching to your soul as it is when you're doing it alongside the church. It's the same thing with singing songs by yourself. It's different than singing songs in the corporate body of believers. That's what makes this quarantine hurt so badly. That this isn't good enough. My prayer throughout this has been that May the time without, so to speak, not teach you and I bad weekly habits, but rather that it would build a weekly longing to be back in the community that you so desperately need. You need a community of believers. To use the phrase here, stirring you up to love people, stirring you up to be faithful in your actions, well, what does stirring you up look like? Several things, and these are good for application, I believe. It means calling you out when you are in sin. You need someone in your life that can be honest with you and that you won't be lashing out at when they're honest with you about your own shortcomings. You need people asking about your time in the Word. You need people in your life that are encouraging your spirit. And you need to be doing the same for others. And by the way, I would suggest to you that this should not be your spouse. This needs to be someone that can tell you things straight up and you hear them and assume the best in your friend that loves you as a brother or sister in Christ. So what's your next step? Well, as far as community goes, we're in a difficult spot, at least for a time. But I think one way that, it's not as good, but one way that we can do it in some regard is to utilize technology. Commit to community in whatever way that looks. Right now, it may look like being with your family and having conversations about Jesus. It may be simply being faithful and discipling your your children. It may be FaceTiming your friend that usually you would want to get coffee with and talk about your relationship with the Lord. Whatever that means, pursue faithful biblical community as you're able right now and long for the day that you can once again have it in full as far as confession goes, maybe you beat yourself beat yourself up over sin and you need to place your confession not in your own goodness, but in the goodness and the work of Jesus. I've been there. I've been in a place where i played the moralism and the legalism game, where my standing before God ebbs and flows based on how I feel like I've performed that day. And maybe, as far as confession goes, you need to simply release that and lean heavily into the work of Jesus because the work of you simply will not do. As far as confidence goes, maybe you need to see Christ as beautiful and as your confidence. Maybe you need to simply understand that this is a luxury that we're given, not something that is owed to us. The Jews would have been astonished by being able to approach God in confidence. May it be the same for us. But just to be honest, maybe you don't have that confidence because you've never come to a point in your life where you followed Jesus. I'm aware that there are people that are watching this that have never frequented the doors of Spring Hill and maybe even never frequented the doors at all of the church. Or maybe it's been a long time and you feel like, you know what, God doesn't want to hear from me. Maybe that thought is coming from a place where you lack confidence. Because listen, based on your effort, you're right. God cannot and does not want to hear from you. But based on the merit of another, the work of another, sinners are made clean. The unrighteous are made righteous. And so my instruction to you this morning, if that's you, is to just take a moment, now or at the conclusion of this video, and just pray before God and be honest with him. You don't have to have some fancy person like me standing in a booth beside you and telling you how to talk to Jesus. Talk to him. He is a person of the Godhead. Talk to Christ, talk to the Father and say, Father, I know that I am a sinner. Save me. I place my faith and trust in your work and not in my own work. And daily lead me to follow you. If that's you, please do not shoulder that burden your own. Reach out to me by message. Well, I'll do whatever I can to minister to you. You may have someone in your life that can do that for you. Please don't sit on that. If God is putting a weight and a burden in your heart, reach out to someone in your life that can help you to channel that and follow Jesus. You know, we don't know how long this storm will last. This quarantine, our culture, it's, it's chaotic and it's a little scary. We don't know how long these things will last and they're way less than ideal. Your family's going to be put in a tough spot more than likely. Probably already is. And I don't want to be oblivious to that. And I'm sensitive to that because I'm in the same boat that you are. God is still faithful. And we don't know how long the storm is going to last, but we do know the one who controls the storm. And so my last thought is simply this, that you would anchor deeply in him. Because while life may ebb and flow, that you may rise and fall, the blood of Jesus simply never will. Let's close and thank him for who he is, and I'll give some final instruction, okay? Let's pray. Father, you are marvelous in every way. We love you. We thank you that, Lord, our confidence to enter into the presence of God today and one day is not based on our effort, but on the effort of another, not based on our goodness, but on the goodness of another, that by the blood of Jesus, we may enter the throne of God's place. And that we have a good standing with you, not based on our work, but on the work of Jesus at a real place called Calvary, when he shed his blood to save sinners like us. I pray, Lord, that we would not forsake the confession, and that we would not forsake, in whatever way that we can for now, gathering with believers, whether it be our family or over technology. Let us stir one another up to love and good works, and long for the day that one day we'll be with you again. Lord, you are in control of the storm. We are anchoring deeply in you help us to be faithful always. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You know, after this, uh, you're going to go and and eat lunch or or eat dinner or whatever you're listening to this message today. And so my instruction to you finally, as we just kind of wrap things up, is simply this, uh, that you would discuss the word together. You know, at Spring Hill, we try to be intentional about that, is that uh, we're so quick moving. And so we are so quickly moving on to the next thing, making lunch plans or or going to watch TV, or whatever it is that we're thinking about, here's the great thing about right now, you don't have a lot of things you can do. And so slow down and discuss the message that you just heard with one another. We're going to try to put out some discussion questions that will help you do that. Uh, and so uh, hopefully those things will already be in your email inbox or posted on Facebook. Seek those out, okay? Uh, Facebook.com slash Baptist and maybe how you're listening to this now. Uh, but Seek those discussion questions out for your ch- for your family. Also pray for your church. Uh, God needs uh, to hear from you right now. And so, and really more, more than that, you need to hear from God uh, and you need to talk to God. So pray for your church and pray for your family. Uh, also be faithful to give to the church. I mentioned that when we began, uh, like I said, mailing checks or, or even calling me, I will, I will come and, and do whatever I can or get one of our deacons to, to grab that from you. If you just can't leave the house right now, I understand. Uh, and then by next Sunday, we're really hoping that we have online giving set up We'll give you more instructions about what that looks like. And then finally, uh, join us next Sunday morning for the same thing. Uh, we're going to have the Word preached, and uh, hopefully it will be edifying to your soul. Uh, and then this, this week, uh, probably Wednesday night, we'll upload another uh, Facebook Live, a midweek Bible study, again, uh, for your good, for God's glory. Uh, thank you for joining us this morning, and I hope that this has been worshipful. It's not in a church building, but here's the great news, is that worship is not relegated to a religious building. Worship is relegated to the hearts of God's people. And so I pray now that you have been worshipful today and that for the rest of the day, you and your family would worship together and making much of Jesus together. I love you guys and I'll see you next time.